Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. If you're just dropped on this planet and you get an opportunity in a 24-hour span as we've had to have an apples-to-apples comparison at Pro Day and it's fresh on your mind, C.J. Stroud had the more brilliant Pro Day of the two. The ball jumps out of his hands with a little bit more juice, has a little bit more energy at the end of throws, but he's built to be a pocket passer. That's the first thing you have to understand. The second thing is Pro Day workouts for quarterbacks is probably the least important part of the evaluation. And then the third thing is, what Bryce Young does when the initial play breaks down, the spatial awareness in the pocket, the ability to maneuver, extend plays, keeping his eyes down the field, ha- having the play, you know, every play is just so slow to him. You can tell with mm. the poise and the presence that he has. That can't be showcased in a pro day. So you're not making a decision off of this. That's ESPN's Todd McShay talking about Bryce Young's Pro Day yesterday to C.J. Stroud's Pro Day two days ago. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. And D.J. Chark is just the newest receiver added in case you missed it and missed the news going into the break. And so whoever it is, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, that is the number one overall selection, they will be throwing to Adam Thielen, D.J. Chark. Remember Terrace Marshall. Hopefully he improves quite a bit. And the two other offensive additions in Hayden Hurst. First at tight end, as well as Miles Sanders, who I have to imagine is going to be more involved in the passing game than he was the last few years. And I completely agree with Todd McShay, just as far as how much the pro days matter. Okay, like I think the pro days are there and they exist because if you mess it up, that might scare you enough to go Mm -hmm. away from that QB. But if they're awesome, I don't know how much that moves the needle on your evaluation process. And I think he's absolutely right in how hard it is to evaluate what Bryce Young brings during a pro day. Now, we saw that throw where he's moving to the left, throws it back deep downfield to the right, and everybody ran away with that thing. We had a couple of other throws that C.J. Stroud had that got social media hot, but Bryce Young had his hot when he threw it the way that he did, and I feel like that was the one throw that we liked more so than all of them. I do agree with what McShay was talking about, though, Wes. What kind of stock did you put into Bryce Young's pro day yesterday? Uh, I think just from the accounts of people that I paid the most attention to, like a Steve Smith, uh, like a Lewis Riddick, I'm going to listen to those guys really before I listen to Ty McShay. Mm. Uh, I like foul Ty line McShay. On McShay? Cool. Wanna... <laughs> no, no foul line, but I'm just saying that when I hear Steve Smith come out and rave about this guy like I do, a receiver that's paying attention to the ball placement, paying attention to how the receivers are running the routes and what uh, that looks like in the NFL. Not saying because you didn't play in the NFL, because obviously we did not, but just saying that, you know, Ty McShay, his evaluations, in my opinion, like, you know, he's not one of my favorite draft analysts like that anyway. So just saying that his opinion that C.J. Stroud had a better pro day, yada, yada, yada. When I hear Steve Smith raving about this man saying that he should be the number one pick, Lewis Riddick saying, I see a headache for opposing defenses. And I quote, uh, I just think that Bryce Young is the guy, in my opinion. And I'm starting to get to the point that after the things that I read, seeing how he held court during dinner amongst the Carolina Panthers brass, 
just seeing what he did at his pro day, what he did in the SEC at the highest levels, what he did last year without an all-star receiving core. I mean, I'm just feeling like that even if you do take C.J. Stroud, and I do think C.J. Stroud's going to be a good player, I just don't think you can afford to miss out on this guy. Well, and one thing I put a lot of stock into when trying to figure out what quarterback can translate an awesome game from the collegiate level to the NFL level is how well you are in how well you perform in chaos. And I think this is what we talk about as one of Bryce Young's strengths is him operating in chaos. And I don't know if that's to mean that CJ Stroud doesn't, but we do know that some of the numbers, some of the only things we can point to and say, okay, that is a little concerning about him. It's, some of the big games that carry a lot of the weight as far as his evaluation goes, right? With the Georgia game, with the Rose Bowl that he had last year. Penn State, I know a lot of people are kind of saying, hey, th- this is another game too this season that we can point to as well. But also with C.J. Stroud, some of the numbers with him under duress or moving on the, you know, getting out there, actually throwing on the run, numbers might not be as good. Where Bryce Young, all I got to do is just watch this guy perform when somebody gets past the offensive line and then he does have his eyes downfield and he is continuing to extend plays that way. And that's what's really impressive. You brought it up. It's why you put a lot of stock into what Steve Smith has to say. We'll allow the listeners to do that as well from Steve Smith himself. We have the soundbite. Here he is talking for a little bit about how much he likes the Alabama QB. The way you threw the corner route is it was about a step and a half before the receiver gave the indicator step, and you threw the, cor- the corner route, now wide receivers are able to catch it. So that's a plus. Also, too, there were some other routes going across the middle. Your height is, you know, some of the measurables. But yet, when you look at the stats, you were the most accurate and highest completion rate over the middle. So you understand the throwing lanes. And then that was just why you were throwing it. But then more than anything, just your quiet feet, quick feet, the way you hold the ball, your quick release, everything that we I've seen out of there, for me, I've seen bigger, more athletic quarterbacks not be able to anticipate the throw. That's not a, a knock on anybody. So before people start tweeting, you know who I'm talking about. I'm just talking overall in this evaluation process of a guy who's smaller in the measurables but has the heart and the desire to play. And I just sat there and watched you. And as a, I'm 44, I'll be 44 years old. I could have got out there and ran those routes just the way you were guiding the ball. It was remarkable. I mean, I'm just like, I can lace them up. I can't do nothing, but it just sure looked good watching it, man. What a wonderful, wonderful display of why you deserve to be the first overall quarterback to be picked in this year's draft. (laughs) I like the wow in the background. Yeah, That was quite the soliloquy to Bryce Young. From yeah. Steve Smith, a legend here within the Carolina Panthers yeah. and so that's what I'm saying is compared to what Ty McShay said, you know, people are still getting hung up on sides with this guy. But when a guy like Steve Smith, to me, reacts like that, we know this is a guy that doesn't give credit easily. Steve Smith is not uh, Mr. Buttercup, where he's going to try to <laughs> butter everybody no, up and say whatever you want to hear. He's going to give you the real. And that's why I respected that opinion so much. For him to sound the way that he did talking about this kid – you know, and people forget too, and I'm not trying to turn this into being against C.J. Stroud, but just saying that in comparison, people want to say, you know, how he played against uh, Georgia, but C.J. I mean uh, Bryce Young against right. them in the uh, SEC championship game 
421 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, 40 yards rushing, another uh, rushing touchdown. Yeah, I mean, it's stupid. He's and so then good. a national championship, not quite as good, but still 369 touchdown, two picks. Uh, now, he got sacked a good many times. He had negative 43 yards rushing in that game. But I'm just saying that Georgia defense, you know, you could argue maybe more star-studded than the one that they had this past season. But, I mean, they're both really good quarterbacks, but I just think Bryce Young is just on another level as far as the processing and all that. Well, and as far as Todd McShay goes, I do think it was a measured take by him. He said if you're just going to try to compare pro days, he thought C.J. Stroud might have had the better one. But there was a defense of Bryce Young saying he can't showcase that kind of stuff that would make him the number one overall selection like a Stroud possibly could. And so I think it's all fine in what he said. But when you hear Steve Smith talk about him, Yeah, it was such a a stark contrast because I didn't hear – uh, him say that about C.J. Stroud's pro day. Yeah, well, and, I mean. and, and Steve Smith might give you a little bit more heartfelt opinion on this where McShay might try to be objective, but 100%, there was a very big difference in that regard. Panther Bow wrote in, Smitty went full, Mark Jackson, quote, mama, there goes that man. I would say he even went deeper than that as far as the Mark Jackson comparison goes. And I agree with you, Wes. Like I, I would pick Bryce Young. We've talked about this quite a bit. And with him operating with pressure in the pocket, that's what separates him. And that's kind of tough to showcase as far as what you can do in the pro day. Here's another um, another soundbite, by the way, when we're trying to compare who the Panthers are going to take, whether it's going to be C.J. Stroud or whether it's going to be Bryce Young. We saw Josh McCown a couple of days ago said, hey, when you're living in Charlotte, we'll go find a court to play horse or whatever, and then they can go hoop. Um We tried to figure out how much that actually meant, whether that would actually mean C.J. Stroud is going to be the number one overall selection. Here's Keyshawn Johnson on ESPN Radio saying that the QB coach does not know what the Panthers are going to do. Josh McCown, as a quarterback coach, has no idea what they're going to do in the draft. They're not certainly going to tell him, (laughs) as the quarterback coach, that we're going to draft C.J. Stroud. He's just saying, when you come, wishful thinking. But I think he's the guy. He has to be the guy when you talk about looking at these quarterbacks. I think he's the most ready of any of these quarterbacks if he needed to be inserted into the lineup today. He certainly can handle the task. I like everything about him. I like his mechanics. He's smooth. He throws a friendly, catchable ball in your catch radius. You don't have to try to figure out and dive in and twist it and turn it. Everything is within the catch radius. So he could potentially be their guy, though. But Josh McCown wouldn't know that. So I I don't know if I agree with that. The reason I don't know if I agree with that, because the quarterback position is key for a QB coach to come in and figure out if he wants that job, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know how honest Scott Fitterer was, David Tepper was, when they're interviewing some of these interviewing some of these candidates. Remember Dan Orlovsky? He talked about how he was hearing Anthony Richardson could be the number one pick. And then Josh McCown, we see him dapping up C.J. Stroud and said, when you're living in Charlotte, we'll go find a court and then go hoop on it. Like, I, I even with Adam Thielen, we talked about this. Just how honest are you being with Adam Thielen as he decides who he wants to play for about who his quarterback's going to be? What do you make of Keyshawn's comment? Um, I kind of agree with Keyshawn a little bit just for the fact that I feel like he would kind of know how – the front offices work a little bit more so. I mean, he could know, but what Josh McCown did say does sound a lot like what coaches say to you on recruiting visits and things like that. They're like, oh, when you're here at Florida State, we're going to, you know, do this, that, and a third or 
like that silly coach when he came to my house talking about when I came to Florida, we could do MTV spring break during spring break and stuff like that. So uh, that's what I uh, <laughs> related a lot of that to. Uh, the, the recruiting? What was this recruiting trip story? <laughs> no, he when the coach came in my house the day before signing day from Florida, Jim uh, Collins. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying his name because I, I didn't like him and I didn't care for him. Go ahead. But he came him. in my house acting like a silly Silly man, uh, the day before signing day and was uh, joking around, dancing in my house, saying that uh, on spring break, I was going to be on MTV spring break and just dancing and whooping it up. And then once I got there, he didn't say two words to me, but they cussed me out on scouting. I like that. How much did that work for you? Say, oh, I'm going to be on MTV. How much did young? I West didn't work for me. I, I thought it was funny. I did okay. think about it in spring break. And you know what's funny in college? I never went on one spring break like that. And that's one that's like one regret I had in college. Well, I mean, how much is that different from just the availability of that opportunity for football players? Well, I mean, once you go students. on spring break, I mean, you can go. We had guys that would go take those uh, kind of wild trips, maybe not necessarily MTV spring break, but just going on yeah. those wild, fun spring breaks where you go down to a beach, whatever one you want to talk, Daytona, whatever mm -hmm. the case may be. But we never did that. We'd always kind of plan for it, but it never happened. All right. Oh, let's go to the text line before we move on to the next segment. Tim Kirkshen going to join us to talk about the World Baseball Classic and the upcoming MLB season. Mike from Mooresville said, I'm slowly changing my opinion to Bryce Young as well. Bring on Mighty Mouse. That would be entertaining, <laughs> too. L look, I don't want to get it twisted. If C.J. Stroud is going to be the better quarterback and help Carolina win more games, then I want C.J. Stroud. But there is the entertaining aspect of having somebody so small run around in the pocket. I just would like to see that a lot more. Um, has a ginger white uh, wife, has a ginger white, goodness gracious, has a ginger wife wrote in, I get concerned with Bryce because Tua is bigger than him and Tua stays hurt. I just think the injury history is a little bit more concerning with Tua because the dude had a hip injury. Yeah, Like that's, that's a big old difference when talking about him compared to even Bryce Young in the last one, Bud Lightyear wrote in, hey, we saw you last night. Guys, do you think Adam or DJ's uh, signing with Carolina without knowing who the Panthers intend to draft? Or do you think they signed without knowing who the Panthers will draft? Meaning the Panthers already know and they're going to uh, draft whoever they want to. So this kind of speaks to what we were talking about anyway, right? Like, I, I do wonder how honest Scott Fitterer or anybody was when they were in negotiations with a DJ Chark or even more so an Adam Thielen who might have a little bit more cachet in the league mm -hmm. and just trying to figure out where he wants to go, um, catch balls from Pat Mahomes or whoever. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, when it's all said and done who this number one overall pick is going to be. Tim Kirkshen joins us on the other side of the break to talk about the World Baseball Classic, the upcoming MLB season. Where can we rank Shohei Otani versus Mike Trout in historical context? That's still to come. Weston Walker Sports Radio 92.7. WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, 
and everything in between. Radio 92.7 WFNZ. You are listening to Wes and Walker getting you ready for the baseball season. And I mean, I mean it. I don't think there's any way better to get ready for the baseball season than bringing on Tim Kirkshin, legendary baseball writer, a part of ESPN and also author of a fantastic book, which I own, by the way. I'm fascinated by Sacrifice Flies. Tim Kirkshin joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Tim, thank you so much for the time, man. How are you? I'm well, fellas. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, we really appreciate it, Tim. And we are fresh off of the high that saw Shohei Otani and Mike Trout go at it in the last at bat in the World Baseball Classic. And to see that championship won by Japan with that matchup, it was a lot of fun. We were all leading our shows off with it. Tim, I don't think there's a better person on the planet, really, to put this into historical context what are some of the other head-to-head matchups that compare or even surpass what we saw in the World Baseball Classic? Well, that was pretty darn good because Otani is like no one we've ever seen before. He's the best player in baseball, and he struck out the second best player in baseball, and they had to be teammates, and it was the final out of the game. And it was 102 miles an hour, the fastballs thrown in that inning. And then it's just a ridiculous slider. So, I mean, there have been other bigger at-bats because, you know, guys have hit home runs to win World Series. But this was the end of the WBC, which was a spectacular tournament. The passion, the energy was just tremendous. I saw three games in Arizona, meaning I saw games before we even got to the finals in Miami, and they were sensational. I walked the streets outside of uh, you know Chase Field there in Arizona, and it was like Mardi Gras. There was a party <laughs> going on out there with people singing and dancing and playing instruments. It was just another reminder that baseball is loved all over the world. I think we all needed to hear that again because we've gotten so down on the sport. The WBC lifted the game again, and I think it's going to be a great momentum boost as as we start the regular season in six days. Well, and, and Tim, you mentioned the top two players in baseball on the same team going at it in the World Baseball Classic. It's exactly what I was going to ask you about next. Sometimes I like to nerd out and just go to baseball reference pages and just stare at them, and you see all of the bold within Mike Trout's page. You see what Shohei Otani is doing in both the batting and the pitching section. You mentioned that they're, the both, they're both the best players in baseball. I mean, Tim... How, how do we compare what these guys are doing right now in the modern era compared to some of the other players? Like, are we talking about an ultimate Hall of Fame lore to the highest degree? Are we talking, oh, no, that was a great era. They're Hall of Famers. But, you know, it's it's not necessarily as important in the era. Like, where do we rank these two in historical context with the all-time greats? Well, it's really hard to do because, of course, Ruth and Gehrig played together all those years, and they're at least, they're arguably two of the five greatest hitters in the history of baseball playing on the same team for arguably the greatest team ever, the 27 Yankees. But we're in a different era, and we're talking about 
Uh, Mike Trout is a Hall of Famer already because he's got 10 years in. Otani is on the fast track to doing that because, again, no one's ever seen anybody quite like him. Fellas, he hit the hardest ball and threw the hardest pitch during the entire WBC. That's that's impossible to do. Only he can do that. So I just hope we all appreciate what we're watching here with Mike Trout and now with Otani as teammates because we may look back someday and say, you know, those were two of the ten greatest, two of the five greatest players ever to play the game, and they were on the same team. I implore everyone to keep their eye on that. Tim, West Bryan here, and so off of the heels of that, what does Major League Baseball do next to capitalize off that momentum to keep uh, the interest growing, so to speak, after that amazing display? Yeah, well, we just have to keep <laughs> reminding everybody how big and strong and fast these players are today. We've never seen an era of baseball with this many big, strong, fast, talented players. We've never seen an era in baseball where we've seen pitching to this degree. It is phenomenal. We've never seen this velocity. We've never seen secondary pitches like this. This is the hardest hitting environment that I've ever seen. And this is the message we have to get out there to people is that, all right, the game may not be as entertaining as it was 20 years ago because we don't have as many, we have too many walks, homers, and strikeouts. But the players, you, there's no denying, they're like n- no time we've ever seen. And that's what makes baseball so compelling today. With these guys being so good, what do you think as far as, have you seen teammates, a, a pair of teammates as good as these two? And if so, or regardless, are they going to be able to lift the Angels up and, and bring them into contention? Well, again, they, they have a long way to go to match Ruth and Gary. But that that was 80 years ago. But as far as remarkable teammates, these guys are pretty close to the top of the list since there's nobody been quite like Otani. As for the Angels, um, the Angels won 73 games last year, but I really believe after seeing the Angels in spring training, and I get caught up in the positive uh, you know, uh, emotion of spring training all the time, it's a real problem of mine, but that they have a chance to be they have an outside chance to make the playoffs this year, which would be, of course, great for baseball if that were to happen. Um, their starting pitching is pretty darn good right now. Um, they're, if they can get 145 games out of Trout and 145 games out of Anthony Rendon, who's had a great spring, and Otani is the Otani we've seen the last two years, I think the Angels could qualify as that one team that could go from a non-contender into the playoffs this year. Now, I'm still not picking them to make it because a lot has to happen, but there is a way There is a way you can present this is a playoff team in 2023, and that would be good for baseball and really good if the Angels hope somehow, some way to keep Otani on their team. And then when it comes to this season, are you looking at the Astros maybe to repeat, or are you taking the field? Well, I'm always taking the field because the field is 29 to 1. Um, I really like the Astros. I thought they came into spring training as the clear team to beat. However, since spring training has, has begun, uh, Lance McCullers Jr. came up with a shoulder issue, and it's not major, it doesn't seem. 
but it's an issue. Michael Brantley and Jordan Alvarez, two of their best hitters, might not be ready to start opening day because of their physical issues. And now Jose Altuve broke his thumb. He's going to be out at least two months. So I still think the Astros are really good. I think one way or another they'll win their division. But these injuries are significant, and I think they're going to may not get off to a roaring start because of this. ESPN's Tim Kirkson joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. It's Wes and Walker. Tim, while we're exploring what the potential teams could do and how they could get to the World Series, what is your outlook for the Atlanta Braves this season? Um, I really like the Braves. Um, Their starting pitching is above average. They have a chance to be a great offensive team with Ronald Acuna Jr. coming back, hopefully for his sake, healthy. wasn't healthy really last year. Michael Harris Jr. Uh, too for a, a full season. Austin Riley is a star in the making. He already is there at third base. Um, they still have a shortstop issue that was supposed to be solved in spring training, and it wasn't. Uh, they're, they're going with Orlando Arcia as the veteran guy there. They're, he's not going to be able to replace Dansby Swanson. So there's some work to do there. They're in the wrong division because the Mets are really good. The Phillies are really good. But I like where the Braves are. I wouldn't be shocked if a few developments and they end up back in the World Series this year. At East, three teams are going to the playoffs from the NL East, in my mind, and the Braves are one of them. Well, and speaking about one of those teams, about Steve Cohen coming in this offseason and just spending a whole bunch of money, tried to spend even more with Carlos Correa, but eventually that fell through. What did you make of the money that he did spend? How good is that for the sport of baseball? Well, look, we complain when teams don't spend enough money. <laughs> it, it, it just doesn't seem fair to say, all right, they're spending too much money. Steve Cohen has the money. He's a Mets fan. He wants the team to win and he's allowed to spend as much as he wants. So I, I'm not sure it's good for the game when their payroll is where it is and Oakland's and Baltimore's and others is where it is, but it's, it's difficult to find criticism with him. The, the criticism comes within the industry that they still haven't corrected this problem of payroll disparity but um if i'm a mets fan my my best friend is steve cohen because he's going to do whatever it takes to make that team good and win a world series so is it a problem for the game yes it is is steve cohen clearly the only one to blame absolutely not tim what do you see ahead for aaron judge do you think he can surpass the year that he had last year and if not is there a candidate that can have a year like he had last year or will be on that home run watch um well i never underestimate aaron judge when you're six seven two eighty you're that athletic you're that committed uh and you're still young uh that guy's capable of almost anything he really turned himself into a better hitter last year. And being a better hitter made him a better home run hitter, a better all-around player. So I wouldn't be shocked if he hit more than 62 homers this year. I wouldn't bet that's going to happen. But that guy has proven that every year he plays, he gets better. And it's going to be hard for him to be better than he was last year. But um, you never bet against Aaron Judge, not anymore. 
Tim Kirchin joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. All right, Tim, as much as I would love to continue to talk baseball, I actually want to talk basketball with you because one thing we have not talked about before is the famous photo of you playing basketball against Cal Ripken Jr. What year was that that you played against Cal Ripken, or was there multiple, time, multiple times you played him? Well, this is a raging conflict of interest for me because I was covering the team in the late 80s and I ended up in a gym with him and I ended up playing in the same game, which you're not supposed to do then or now or anytime. Did we but, just tell on you? I'm sorry, Tim. I did not yes, mean to do that. did, but <laughs> okay. I've acknowledged I shouldn't have done that, but it was so much fun. And I also learned so much about him as a baseball player by playing basketball with him. I mean, he was, uh, this is no surprise, but he, he got every loose ball. He got, he guarded the best guy on the other team. He scored when he had to, especially late. He got every difficult rebound. Um, he's just another reminder of how committed he is to playing the game well and playing it properly. We were playing in a dingy little gym at the beginning before he built his own gym. And it's five on five with nobody waiting. So if you lose, you get to play the next game anyway. And he called a timeout at 14 to 14, games straight to 15. He called a timeout. It brought his team over to the side to figure out how they're going to score the final bucket. Uh, they missed. We got the rebound. We scored. And he was furious. Oh, yeah. In the pickup game. Oh, yeah. That's just. That's just who he is and how things work. Oh, that's Bush League. You told him it was Bush League, right, Tim? Like you, you went right into no, his no. face and you yelled at him. No, not in a million <laughs> years would I ever yell at him because I ended up on his team a lot of times. And when I when I was on his team, we usually won because he was the best player on the floor. All right. Well, the other thing I, I have to tell my producer just a little bit. He is a huge fan. He is a huge fan of the Mets as well. But we were talking about your basketball playing days and a conversation we had before. We had talked about your ability to palm a basketball. And my producer, and I quote, he said, that tiny man is able to palm a basketball. And I said, yes, Tim Kirkshin was able to do that. And you've talked about how freakishly large your hands are before. Like how many times have you had that conversation with people? <laughs> well, <laughs> not very often. Um, I, I can palm a basketball with both hands at the same time, which of course does me absolutely no good as a 66-year-old baseball writer. Let's be clear about that. I have a size 7.5 shoe, and I have giant hands. They're not strong hands. They're big hands. And you can learn to palm a basketball even with smaller hands if you work on it. And that's what I used to do as a kid. I cannot believe you're taking this much time yes. to talk about the fact that I can palm a basketball. It's pointless, but thanks anyway. No, Tim, you're, <laughs> Tim, you're five, four and a half, right? Like that's out there. That is out there in the world, correct? Yes. And 140 pounds. Yeah. And, and you can palm and you gave Cal Ripken buckets. That's okay. Like we can acknowledge this <laughs> fact that you were able to do it. Of course, I want to talk about basketball and baseball all day long with you, <laughs> but we will allow you to get going on your day. Um, we appreciate the time. Please follow Tim Kirkshin on Twitter at ESPN at Kirkshin ESPN. I should say, excuse me. We really appreciate the time. I want to talk more about some of the other players you gave buckets in your past and uh, hopefully we can do it again soon. Okay, fellas. Thanks so much. See thanks, you. Tim. There's nobody in the world more. Like, I, I'm not kidding. I promise this is not an exaggeration. If you gave me a sports writer slash analyst to talk all day long with, 
if he would have me, if he would allow us to do so, Tim Kirkshin would be the answer. Like we can go to Charles Barkley, like some of the players and stuff. That yeah. would be a lot of fun to talk about player stories. Mm-hmm. But that guy right there, I would have him on the phone all day long and continue to talk about the hand size that is five, four and a half Tim Kirkshin. That's the one I would do. Fiddy, are you mad at me for calling you out with that conversation? No, because Tim is literally the nicest guy in the world. <laughs> so I just didn't know where you were taking it. Uh-huh. That, that was what I was worried about because sometimes I go too far. I wondered if you were going to go too far. I could not imagine being five, four and a half, but being able to palm a basketball. Well, Fiddy asked me before we hopped on the mic with him. He said, now he's like me. He's like five, seven, five, eight, something like that. Right. And I said, yes, something like that. But I did more research and he said he was five, four and a half. And that was on ESPN radio. I think he was speaking with Doug Kazarian. And so that's but like, I, I hope people understand what that is. That's crazy. If you're that small. Yeah. And being able to palm a basketball, and he tries to downplay it. He tries to downplay that ability to do, to do so. But that's crazy. It's like Spud Webb out there. And the picture, if you go look at it on Twitter, Tim looks like he's moving pretty well in a victory over Cal Ripken Jr. Yeah, man. That's an interesting fact, too. And I always hang about how what a good athlete Cal Ripken was, the fact that he was such a good basketball player. It's the thing I go back to when we talk about unbreakable records that are obscene. I mean, we can. Kyle Bailey had this conversation. I referenced it a couple times. Like Cy Young, 511 wins. That's not going to ever be broken. But when you talk about just how it's played today, nobody's ever going to get anywhere close to his consecutive game streak is Cal Ripken. I forget how many games it is, but it's absolutely ridiculous. Last thing about Tim Kirkshin. A lot of people were saying on the text line, you got to get Tim to laugh. Can you do it? You were close. I mean, do so he did, but it's not like some chuckle. It's not like he was, (laughs) you know, belly laughing by any means. So we still don't count it. That's fair. I want to be objective about it, but we don't count it is what you're saying. Oh, yeah. No, it wasn't the full-blown Scott Van Pelt where he doubled over. Like When you get that, if that would have happened, I would have kissed you. The problem is I don't want to take anybody's bit. Like Dan Lebitard will read the – This he is looks radio, like, baby. Steal. But but I'm not going to steal it. It's the, baseball. It's part of the game. But he looks like game. That's Dan Lebitard's. The – what is it? The uh, Toronto – is that what Scott Van Pelt says? Whatever it is. <laughs> Come on, bro. And then Tim Kirkshin just laughs at the simplest stuff. I don't want to steal any of that. So we'll try to get him to laugh next time. We'll put more research into it. But we had to lay the foundation. So as the baseball season goes on, we can start to put some jokes together. Maybe that's what we do. We all come together. We put jokes in the pot. And then we see who can get Tim Kirkshin to laugh with whoever brought the joke to the pot. That sounds like a future segment. Okay. All right. Speaking of the future, let's go to the first Fitty Flash, second Fitty Flash of the day. What you got for us? All right. Let's turn our attention back to the Panthers. They've added DJ Chark. They've Adam Adam Thielen. Do you think this move takes them out of the running for a potential trade for DeAndre Hopkins? Yes. And they're going to turn their attention to adding another wide receiver solely at 39 in the draft. I don't think they're necessarily going to go receiver at 39 either. They could go in a multitude of directions, but I definitely don't think they go after DeAndre Hopkins at this point. I would be very surprised. DJ Tark's on a one-year deal. Adam Thielen is an older player. On a three-year deal. Right. Even with Adam Thielen having somewhat of a little bit of an injury history the last... I think he played full games. I'll I'll pull up the stats here. But regardless, with not the long-term future invested in that position, I think 39 still should go to wide receiver, at least the leader in the clubhouse. If there's an excellent pass rush or whatever, like I'm not going to get mad at Carolina. But if you're asking me what position I would still want to take care of, I'd still like to have a young receiver, especially that high in the draft, that I feel comfortable with long-term. I don't know if it outright takes them out of the DeAndre Hopkins, 
Hopkins situation, especially with rumors about it not costing all that much anymore. Like, what did Jeremy Fowler say? That you're possibly looking for Brandon Cook's compensation? That was a fifth and a sixth? Yeah. I don't think that takes really anybody out of the equation as far as landing DeAndre. I still think 39 should be the leader in the clubhouse as far as wide receiver goes, looking long-term. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. Write in some crazy questions, folks. It is No Rules Friday. Text us, 704-570-9610. It is another edition of The Mailbag, 704-570-9610. We'll be back in a moment on Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Sebastian Ajo for joining us in the first hour. You just heard from the legend that is Tim Kirkshin. You can hear both of those interviews on our website, WFNZ.com. We still have two more guests to go. Ben Solak going to be joining us at 2 o'clock, a part of The Ringer, and Siobhan Bryan as well, WBTV reporter and anchor, Miami alum. Going to be talking about her team being in the Sweet 16, going to be joining us in studio, the Planet Kia Studios. You can visit planetkianc.com. Let's get to the mailbag, and I'm going to contribute, if you don't mind. I'd like to contribute and lead us off here. Yes. Wes, you just had something pretty cool happen during the break. Yeah, man. You put out on, I believe, at Wes and Walker on Twitter. Yep, Did you put it out there? Yeah, Wes Scott Range, at WFNZ. We mm-hmm. got a whole bunch of them you should follow. You were in your Dominique Wilkins jersey, and because we're feeling real froggy at the beginning of this show, you decided, hey, Fitty, why don't you film me doing a windmill dunk of this wad of paper into the trash can (laughs) or into the recycling bin, and you put that video out there on social media. Dominique Wilkins liked it. Yeah, man. Which is awesome. Yeah. Which is to lead to my question, what is the best celebrity interaction that you've ever had on Twitter slash social media? Wes, I know you have a few to choose from. The best interaction on social media, man. Uh, if I can jog your memory a little bit, I know that you had the back and forth with Deion Sanders a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. But that's up there, though. It was still legendary. I remember uh, Michael K. Williams, God rest his soul. Uh, people remember him. You know, the actor, uh, yes. Omar from the Wild, stuff like yeah. that. When the, um, I remember when they had the ad campaign going with Ciroc, and they were getting off the private jet and doing all this stuff in Las Vegas, I guess, like the Rat Pack. And I had put on there, like, that was the goal of mine to uh, be able to do that with my friends one day. And then he uh, he replied to my tweet saying, uh, me too, brother. That's pretty cool. Especially yeah. one that you can't get anymore. Yeah. Your RIP. Yeah, that, that was pretty that's, that's That's probably number one by a decent margin. Yeah. You know, because especially with it's this, when in, in sports, it's, you know. 
I mean, it's not that it's not cool, but mm-hmm. at the same time, we're talking to a lot of these people. It's our job to yeah. be talking to these people and interacting with them. So maybe that doesn't carry as much weight as that one you just referenced. Fiddy, I know you did have one, though, on uh, in the sports world, and this actually is a pretty big one as far as them taking personal time to like one of your tweets. You have a couple of them. Yeah, no, I had uh, Mac Brown, the Tar Heel head football coach. He liked one of my tweets. It was not about him. No, <laughs> he wouldn't have liked that. <laughs> Thankfully. And then I had my guy, Rich Hollenberg. He did the thing that Clay Madfig did where he searched himself on Twitter, except the tweet about Rich was a positive one, so he liked it and did not send me a condescending DM like Clay Madfig did during the football season. So, oh, it was a DM. It wasn't mm-hmm. a public comment that he sent. Mm. Yeah, oh, yeah, he DM'd me and said, thanks for the kind words, Josh, when I just I, – I, he called the – Carolina Georgia State game or the Carolina App State game, mm-hmm. and I just buried them. I have two one <laughs> bad, one good. At least, I don't know if it's the most famous. The one, though, that is the most famous for me, Tracy McGrady follows me. Oh. And that was huge. As soon as I saw that, I did a double take and shook my head and was asking, What the hell is this? Because I loved Tracy McGrady growing up. Not a huge sneakerhead, kind of getting into it late in the game with the Jordans that I've purchased recently, but I absolutely had both of the T1s and the T2s. Mm-hmm. I had the I had the T-Mac. They retro those recently, too, the T-Mac 2. Did they really? Yeah. I, I have, Those were my baller shoe of choice, was the T1 and the T2. Now, a not-so-great one, it actually involves a North Carolina Tar Heel. It's not that I feel great about it. But one time, a listener asked me, Hey, Walker... Kennedy Meeks is balling out in Greensboro. Do you think that he could make the roster as a backup center option? And I got a little froggy as well. For some reason, I don't know why I decided to get so spicy. I said, we already have a few centers who don't play defense. What's one more? (laughs) And Kennedy Meeks did the same thing, and he searched his name, and then he responded to it, and he said, keep that same energy, bruh. Keep that same energy, and no, he didn't I make he it. Didn't. I was pulling for him. I yeah. was, but you know, he just wasn't playing defense very well. Wow. So that's what I went with. That's pretty cool. So those are a couple of the celebrity interactions. The thing about Tracy McGrady, though, I could just keep on sliding by and act like it's real legit. If you go look at Tracy McGrady's Twitter profile, the dude follows everybody, mm. and it's because I think he was trying to promote his one-on-one league. And so that did that take some of the steam out of the. It did. You? It did a little bit, but at the same time, it's Tracy McGrady. And he follows me. And so I felt really good about it. I think you should still you feel st- great about you it. Still, you think that's still good? Yeah. 100%. All right. I'll still roll with it. Um, you are wearing the Dominique Wilkins basketball jersey, as we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Let's go to favorite basketball jerseys that we have. You have a lot to choose from. So do I. I went to basketball camp and a different one per day. Mm. I love them so much. What is your favorite one if we force you to answer? And is it maybe this one? No, the... Uh Back in the day when I was in fifth grade, I had the uh, Michael Jordan Olympic jersey, the nine. Okay, yeah, that's a great For one. Sure. Does it matter? How much does it matter if it's stitched or not? I mean, back then in those times, they weren't even making those. The stitched Unless ones? You either, bought the, you either bought the authentic or you bought the replica. There was no in-between. There was no swing man back then. Yeah, for me, I, I balled in them. I didn't wear them for fashion as a kid, and that's when I had most of them, and so I would make sure I did not get the stitched version. So I'm not trying to play basketball in the stitched version of the uh, of the jerseys. Jalen Rose for the Pacers, one of my first basketball loves. I had that one. Everybody loved Reggie Miller, so I had to get with Jalen Rose. I also had White chocolate, Jason Williams. Of course, I had that jersey, the 55 Kings jersey. Now, wait, jersey. now, you said one. Now, if you want to start digging, going into the crates, then we can. I mean, we 
can. Do that. Uh, Jalen Rose Pacers, though, if you're going to hold me to just one. <laughs> no doubt. Because I was going to say now, my it followed up a close, close second, probably 1B was, man, I... I could not sleep the night I got my Chris Webber Golden State Warriors jersey. Oh, that's a good one. When I got that one, man, oh, boy, I was so excited to wear that the next day. I have an Antoine Walker Celtics one. That was cool. I like that one as well. Fitty, do you have one real quickly before we go to break? A favorite basketball jersey? I did get Carmelo's Denver Nuggets jersey two years before he got traded to the Knicks. Still, Still holds up. That's okay. That's the worst, though, when you get a jersey and then they don't play for them anymore. But then it becomes lit, though, like when they retire. I'll tell you what's a sneaky, really cool jersey is the LaMelo Ball number two jersey now. Yeah. Because he's going to be sporting the one for yeah. the rest of his career. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, so when you get those in retrospect, when their career is over with, when you have it, it's pretty dope. Especially I'll- like when you look at some of the obscure ones, yeah. like if you had a Patrick Ewing Magic. Or <laughs> yes, Hakeem Olajuwon. I think like some guys, you Toronto, go back and you yeah. see some of the teams that they play for at the end, and you absolutely forgot, didn't even remember that they played for them. Yeah, the Panthers have some good ones too. If you wanted to go with just the NFL, like Keyshawn Johnson, yeah. Reggie White, just like the one-year wonders with Shocking. Carolina. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a couple ones you could go with there as well, and even Robert Parrish, Charlotte Hornets jersey. Yeah. All right, now we're digging way too deep into the obscure teams you didn't know this classic ball player played for. All right, let's get to Benjamin Solak, a part the NFL show and the Ringer podcast series. He's coming up next to talk about the Panthers offseason. It's Wes and Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.